Ali has his last fight. MLB goes on strike, and hungry Ozzy decides to take a bite. Three icons are born, Paris, Beyonce, and JT, and a few leave us, including Bob Marley and Natalie. Gal Nagas was a whopping 125, and Kim Carnes had Betty Davis eyes. Eddie marries Valerie, and soon things get tough. Charlie's Angels, the Waltons, and Eight say they've had enough. Maiden upgrades to a mighty Dickinson. Grammys see Christopher Cross win a ton. Diana and Charles write history. How the stupid fucking Raiders beat the Eagles still remain a mystery. The space shuttle takes his first shot. Ronnie and the Pope survive gunshots, but Sadat does not. The greatest American hero hits the airwaves. And topping the charge for 15 weeks, Ario Speedwagon shows how great albums are made. Yes, people, we are talking all things 1981 on Growing Up Rock. Crank it up. for another edition of this ain't no disco but it's a whole lot of rocking and rolling we are talking and playing all things 1981 sunny hollywood poony come on down what's going on you know that's got a copyright joe's gonna be pissed (laughs) actually that's copyrighted by gene simmons he's gonna be pissed Oh, Gene can be pissed all he wants. They can all come after me because I am not afraid to hide all $3 that I have to my name in the seat cushions of my brand new slanky couch. Yeah, baby. No, the running joke with me is Gene can sue me for everything I got. All the shit I got is his shit. You want it back? (laughs) He's already living off your dime, Hollywood. That's right. All right. Well, so it's me and you, all things 1981, and we thought, hey, why not bring another special guest along for the ride? So we invited our favorite podcast prostitute, Ed Spangenberg from Click Tease. What's going on, Ed? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. This is exciting. I'm looking forward to this. This is great. Thank you. Yeah, awesome, man. This will be, what, the 50th or 60th uh, podcast you've been on in the last three and a half days, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I can't beat Andrew from uh, Kiss My Collectibles. He's completely got the network cornered. <laughs> I'm in second place. We're not even a Kiss podcast, but by golly, 
We ain't afraid to have Kiss as part of the show. Shit, we do a historic moment each and every episode. So welcome to the show. We hope you have fun talking all things 1981 with us. Excellent. Thank you so much. Hey, don't you owe me 35 cents for the modeling job I did? Oh, my God. You know what? That probably got the most likes of any post I did all year. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, Sony. Sony uh, sent me pictures of him in a click tea shop shirt. And uh, all these women were contacting me. It was like, who is that man? And they Babe, were, he is absolutely lying. Nicole, I know you're <laughs> just, they, they wanted posters. Let's clear this up. A, these are all women that used to be men. And B, <laughs> B, please, God, just tell me, was he wearing a muscle tee? Like a complete t-shirt, muscle tee. And was it a midriff? Was it cut off and his belly was hanging off? Because that's awesome. <laughs> We're not talking about Vinnie Vincent on this episode, are we? <laughs> wow. No, we don't. I, had, I didn't go there, did I? I just, I thought you were talking about something else. Sorry about that. I can't wait till your VV inspired shirts come out. <laughs> if, if Vinnie contacts me, maybe I'll call him back, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I just can't wait to get my Kiss Tuxedo shirt from you. <laughs> I'll hook you up. <laughs> It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right, it's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. And today we are talking about the new one from Helix, one of my favorite Canadian bands. They have just released a new album called Old School. It is produced by none other than Daryl Gray. So, Brian Vollmer, tell us what's up. How you doing out there, animals? This is Brian Vollmer of the band Helix, and you're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with Steven and Hollywood. Crank that shit up! Show you around and teach us all the new. Busy. 
All right, that was Helix Games' Mother Never Taught You. Off the new record, Old School. Go out and check it out, Helix. At least that song wasn't O-L-D, old. And what you gonna do, old school you? <laughs> I used to love rock you, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the main discussion. Okay, so we are talking all things 1981. You know, we like to throw in a few things besides just talking songs. So let's start with Ed. How old were you in 1981? Where were you living? I was living in Carbondale with Steve Wright. You were living with him? Well, unfortunately, no. But I was living in Carbondale, and Steve and I lived, we lived in the same town. And, uh, Steve and I had played baseball together and everything, but I was 14 years old at the time. I was in ninth grade, and I was going to a Catholic high school. Wow. What about you, Mr. Michael? I was 15 years old in my freshman year at high school, and I was living down in Florida with my parents. Uh, I was 11, about to become 12, and at the back half of 81, started the eighth grade. So, and I was living in Northern California, San Francisco. Nice. There you go. You say, unfortunately, you weren't living with Steve Wright, but me and Sonny know Steve Wright, and we don't think that's unfortunate at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, Steve's an awesome guy, so shout out to Steve and his podcast. We love Steve-O. Steve-O's a good friend, and uh, Sonny's got to share a small cabin with him for uh, five days, so there you go. Oh, sounds romantic. Yeah, the four of us. (laughs) Throw BC and Chris in there. It's going to be a tight fit. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm never going to the room. I'm going to the room to, like, snore for about three hours and getting right back out. I'm pretty sure somebody's getting a dick and balls drawn on their cheek for that cruise. Those are those are not pillows. Those are not pillows. <laughs> I'm totally bringing my Sharpie along for that trip. I'm going to get Sonny to give me the key so I can sneak in at night and do stuff. <laughs> so we had decided that we would each pick five songs, maybe play a few. So let's go with our first pick, and we will start with uh, our guest, Ed. Great. Thanks so much. Uh, this is... A band at the time when I started listening to heavy metal and rock, I started in 76 with Kiss and up in 81, I had a bunch of friends who were listening into the heavy metal scene and Van Halen was one of our big go-tos and Fair Warning came out in 81 and my pick off of that is Unchained.
That's a great song, and I know you love it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do love it. In fact, I'm going to go straight from that song into my first pick, which is also off Van Halen's Fair Warning. And Fair Warning was an important album for me in 81 because I'd heard Van Halen leading up to 81, but Fair Warning coming out was a summer album. And I remember I spent pretty much the entire summer over to a friend of mine's house because he had a pool. And he took out the uh, Fair Warning album on vinyl. And that was the first album that I really got to sink time into and listen to front to back. So for me, Fair Warning was really kind of the breaking me into Van Halen, not the first Van Halen I heard, but definitely the first I really fell in love with and then went backwards from there. So Fair Warning was a hugely important uh, record for my love affair with Van Halen. The tones off this record, I think that's why so many guitar players look at this record as being a real guitar album. I just absolutely love his guitar tone on this record. And from the opening riff of Unchained that you just heard to this song that I choose, which we're not going to play all these songs because we don't have enough time in the world to go through each of these songs, but I would have selected Sinner's Swing. Great tune. Yeah, I was listening to uh, both of these. I was listening to the whole album this morning, actually. And, you know, I'm more of a Sammy fan than a Dave Sam fan. I've always said that. What's wrong with you? Uh, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> um, but first of all, Eddie's solo in Sinner's Swing is bananas. But the backing vocals are underrated. And it honestly allows the melodies and the backing vocals allows Dave to do his thing and Eddie to do his thing. And then the more I was listening to it, the more I was getting pissed off that Van Halen does not have enough music out there. They should have 30 albums out. Yeah, absolutely. At that time, too, is that sound, too. And, and Eddie Van Halen, too. What an incredible guitar player. Like, 
like listening back to the album too, like getting prepared for this, hearing his guitar intros to a lot of these songs is just, you took it for granted back then how amazing it was because there it was in front of you at that age. And you were just like, wow, this is great. But now going back to it, comparing it to anything that has ever existed in albums and music. I mean, he really is off the chart talent. What a talent he is. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So my first pick was actually a Swiss band crocus. So all of my 81 picks are going to be going backwards because I really didn't get into rock music until 84. So all of this stuff I found kind of uh, rabbit holing it backwards and, you know, screaming in the night when you see that video on MTV, I'm like, man, this band must have other stuff. And uh, this is kind of how I came across hardware and rock city is actually my favorite song on hardware. And Crocus really had this like from 81 to 86, they had some U S popularity, right? They had two gold albums after 86, it pretty much died off. They have got tons of albums and, they continue to put out music, but it really didn't hit the U.S. much after that anymore. And they have announced their retirement. And according to some of the rumors out there, um, and I think it was on Ron Keel's show that it was announced, their last absolute last show is going to be on Monsters of Rock X, which Stephen and I will be on. So we'll actually get to see the last show. Super cool. Crocus is actually one of the very first bands I've ever seen play i'm trying to think back i think they actually opened up for ace freely when ace just first started doing his solo stuff and i saw ace and crocus open up for ace in scranton oh that's cool yeah i mean who was a crocus fan but i mean back at that time yeah i was absolutely into it and seeing their show it was a great experience great album back then and, uh, yeah, seeing him and Crocus and Ace together, that was great. Great yeah. concert. My experience with Crocus started with Headhunter, and then I went back. I saw Crocus on the Headhunter tour opening up for Def Leppard on the Pyromania tour, literally right after Def Leppard kind of started headlining. They hadn't been headlining all that long. They had just broken off. Uh, Billy Squires tour and started headlining their own dates and Crocus and this uh, Jimi Hendrix copycat basically John Butcher Axis opened the show and uh, it was awesome man I, I like Crocus a lot so I went backwards from Headhunter and went to Vices and then Hardware after that but I like Crocus they're a good solid rock man dig them Okay, let's get to the second pick. Ed, sir, what's your second pick? My second pick, and I remember it distinctly in high school, my buddy came in and he was carrying the album. He actually had Def Leppard's High and Dry, and he was actually carrying their album around. He's like, you got to check out this album. And I just remembered that distinctly and looking at the album cover, and you know, it was produced by Robert Mutt Lang, And, you know, Def Leppard to me was completely new. That album, when they put that out and it was just so new to me, that blew my mind. It really did. And I loved the the song High and Dry off of that album. (laughs) 
love High and Dry. It wasn't my first Def Leppard record. My first Def Leppard record was probably Pyromania, and I went backwards from there. But when I started reading about Def Leppard, Pyromania had just come out. But now, over the years, High and Dry and Def Leppard's Pyromania basically become my two go-to records. Pyromania is probably my favorite simply because of the nostalgia and why it's important to me. It was my first Def Leppard record, but High and Dry is just such a kick-ass rock record. Love that record. Yeah, I kind of came into High and Dry a little bit late. I uh, remembered this the other day. Pyromania, man, it put me on burnout mode because you know, if I'm coming into MTV in 1984, mm-hmm. oh my God, dude, they are on MTV every 15 minutes. I was they like, are. I don't know who this band is, but I'm already sick of them, right? So I was like, all right. And I didn't have a chance to see them live yet. So I'm like, all right, I'm done with Def Leppard. I'll listen to other things. And then when Hysteria came out, I'm like, all right, I actually have an opportunity to go see these guys. And after I saw them, that's when I went backwards. So it's weird to kind of get into the music and immediately burn out on something, but man, Photograph and Rock of Ages was on MTV constantly. Yeah, and they were great albums, but for me it was high and dry because it was just so raw and it was so heavy. For me, Pyromania was, you know, the commercialized thing. Like you're saying, Sonny, is you saw it constantly. You saw it on MTV and everybody was playing it, you know, but for me, when I discovered Def Leppard, it was that heavy sound of high and dry that nobody really knew about. And it was sort of like that discovery. And I was like, holy crap, this band is amazing. Yeah, high and dry is what got them the label as part of the new wave of British heavy metal. And that's what primed the pumps for pyromania, really and truly. So, I mean, I don't think if you don't have high and dry, you don't have pyromania. All right, so... 1981 was so full of kick-ass music. I mean, it was really hard to narrow it down. There was so much to talk about in 1981, and we'll definitely hit on some of those records for sure later in the episode, but I wanted to pick a few things that maybe we don't talk about every episode. And so one of the bands that I don't think... I personally don't give enough love, and I I absolutely, they were one of the bands that I loved when I was growing up, is Triumph. Triumph in 1981 released Allied Forces, and I know that there's sort of a Canadian theme going on here with Helix being the the crank it up spotlight, but Triumph's Allied Forces is a kick-ass album. So many great tunes on that record, and here's one that literally never gets talked about, and this is the lead-off track from that record. This is Fool for Your Love.
Yeah, that's a classic album. And man, so many great like vocals and melody. There's a Rick Emmett solo album out there I have. It was good, too. I gotta listen to that again. I have it somewhere. He's been doing a lot of solo stuff and playing by himself, and he still sounds amazing. I'll give you a quick story, too. Like, I'll give you my top, you know, five bands that I've seen in concert, and Triumph is right in there because I saw them when they did the uh, Thunder 7 tour, and it was the most amazing concert I've ever seen. And Rick Emmett is out in the middle of the stage. Just, I'll make it really quick. He's out in the middle of the stage, and he's playing uh, Midsummer's Night Dream on an acoustic guitar, right? And the front of the, his guitar is a glass face, right? So he's playing, and these laser lights are going around him, going to the music, and spinning around, and they get closer and closer and closer. And when he hits sort of like the high point of the song, the lasers all hit his guitar like glass face, and the the lasers just shoot out into the you know the arena. And it was mind blowing, mind blowing. The whole concert was amazing. One of the best concerts that I've ever seen, hands down. And and I've heard that a lot about Triumph. Triumph, unfortunately, is a band that I never got to see live, but they're legendary for their light show. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. I'm just so, I guess, blessed to have seen that show. And, I mean, they're amazingly so tight, too, as a band. It sounded like you were there, but it sounded like a recording because it was just so flawless, without a doubt. Kick ass, Sonny, what you got? All right, so my next song is from a band called Riot. So Riot, technically now they're Riot 5, but they had this really great album called Fire Down Under. It hit number 49 on the charts, but nobody really knows these guys. The song I picked, my favorite song on there is Outlaw. But these guys really need a movie. They've had seven vocalists, two have died. They've got religion stories, crime stories. They've got no original members left. And they're kind of a straight-ahead ACDC kind of simple riff band. <laughs> but they've had 25 members so far, 16 studio albums. Like, these guys have been through the ringer. This is just like Anvil. They've, they've been through the ringer and nobody knows them. This is a great album. I don't know if you've ever heard this album, Fire Down Under. So for me personally... Riot was another one of those bands that nobody I really knew except for my close friends knew about them. I love Riot. I had Fire Down Under and Swords and Tequila remains one of my favorite songs. I mean, that song kicks ass. Love me some Riot. I saw Riot open up for Vandenberg and Kiss on the Creatures of the Night tour. Even though everybody tells me it's the Lick It Up tour, they were wearing makeup and it was Vinnie Vincent. So that makes me say creatures of the night so every kiss book anybody's ever written that are experts are wrong and you are right <laughs> i'm just All telling these you kiss books i got every expert on the planet disagrees <laughs> with you i get it but here's the issue they were absolutely wearing makeup vinnie vincent's in the band so what am i supposed to think it wouldn't have been lick it up because they took the makeup off with lick it up but there's no chance you could be wrong and all these experts be right. That's not possible. I'm positive. God damn. Wow. <laughs> See, Ed, what I got to put up with? Oh. 
If he says he's the expert, I I, I don't want to argue because I got a damn tour. He shirt. sounds very convincing. I got a tour shirt from it. I snuck out of the house. That's why I remember this. I snuck out of the house and drove two hours with a friend of mine, unbeknownst to my parents. This is an important show for me. So I'm you, telling you, this is like three stories all shoved into one because of too much wine. That's what this is. I wasn't I, drinking wine. Not back so, then. I'm talking about now. The brain cells are just yeah, really. three stories together. <laughs> Steve, so you're saying that you own a Riot shirt, but you don't have a Click Tea Shop shirt? Is that the story? I do not own a Riot shirt. I own a Kiss, what was it, 10th anniversary tour shirt. And, oh, okay. <laughs> and, no, and no, I don't own a Click Tea shirt either. Do you make big enough ones for me? Absolutely. What size are you going? Five and a half X. And a half X? Okay, I got that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. <laughs> All right, so let's talk TV shows. So 1981, check out these TV shows. Let me uh, let me know after I read them all off which ones uh, you used to watch. Alice was halfway into its history. Barney Miller halfway into its history. Benson's halfway. Charlie's Angels is coming to an end. Chips is about to come to an end. Dallas has just started. Different Strokes is halfway. Fantasy Island's halfway. Happy Days is coming to an end. Heart to Heart's coming to an end. The Vernon Shirley's about to come to an end. Magnum P.I. just starts. MASH is about to come to an end. Morgan Mindy's about to come to an end. Taxi's about to come to an end. Dukes of the Hazards in the middle. Facts of Life's in the middle of its life cycle. Jefferson's in the middle. The Love Boat's in the middle. The Waltons are coming to an end. Three's Company still got three years to go. Too Close for Comfort just started. Trapper John M.D. still has six years left, and WKRP in Cincinnati is about to end. Those are some great shows, man. Yeah, they're all great. Hell yeah. I remember Fantasy Island for sure. Greatest American Hero. I remember that for sure. Happy Days and MASH. Uh, Magnum. If it was just starting in 81, I was watching that. I'm glad it, you know Happy Days was going away because <laughs> at that point it was getting really corny. Yeah, yeah, it was really good for the first few years, but yeah, as as its lifespan went on, it started getting a little bit crazy. When it jumped the shark. Well, yeah, and that, <laughs> and uh, when uh, the uh, Pat Morita left and they had uh, Al, the other guy, take over, and yeah, that all got a little bit crazy, but. Susie Quattro was in in that Leather Tuscadero, baby. Ah. <laughs> Those are great episodes. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching reruns of WKRP in Cincinnati, man. I, I used to love that show. Yeah, the turkey one, the Thanksgiving one with the uh, turkeys. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yep. Best episode. And Les Nessman with the, uh, the Band-Aid. Every episode, he had it on a different spot in his body. Do you know that? I think I remember hearing that, yeah. Yeah, he has a. He always had a bandaid on, but it, it appeared somewhere else on his body throughout every single episode. Wow! All right, so the biggest albums and biggest songs of '81. So you get a shot here. Top ten singles: Number ten, "Keep on Loving You," Ario Speedwagon. This is year end. Uh, number nine, nine to five, Dolly Parton. Number eight, "I Love a Rainy Night," Eddie Brabbit. Number seven, "Kiss on My List" by Hall and Oates. Six was Celebration by Cool and the Gang. Five was Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. Four was Just Like Starting Over with John Lennon. I've never heard that. Really? Uh, three, Lady by Kenny Rogers. Two, Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. And number one, Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes. So that was a top ten 
singles. I love every one of those songs except for Endless Love and Kenny Rogers. All the rest of them, I loved every one of those songs. The John Lennon, just like starting over, is, I mean, the, that whole album, everything. Sonny, you got to listen to that. That's an amazing album. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the only song I don't know, and I like all the other songs. So I'm assuming I'd probably like that song, too. Yeah, that was a big hit. It's fantastic. Maybe I've heard it, and I just don't know it. I think out of all those songs you named, that one stands the test of time as something you can listen to that you're like, oh, yeah, that is, that's good. Like, uh, you know, Kim Carnes with the, uh, Betty Davis eyes, uh, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I wouldn't be like, oh, I got to listen to that today. But the John <laughs> Lennon, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, definitely that was time just right. I mean, he was he was killed on uh, December 8th in 1980. So yeah, that double fantasy was uh, basically a tribute album after the fact. Right. It became very popular at that time. Yeah. So number one albums in 81. High Fidelity had 15 weeks out of the 52. Tattoo You was a number one for nine weeks. Foreigner Four for seven weeks. Double Fantasy, which is Lennon and Yoko Ono for seven weeks. Yep. Mistaken Identity, Kim Carnes for four weeks. Paradise Theater for three weeks by Sticks. Love it. Long Distant Voyager by the Moody Blues for three weeks. Nope. And the next four all had one week in the top spot. Precious Time by Pat Benatar. Belladonna by Stevie Nicks. Escape by Journey, and for those about to rock, we salute you, ACDC. So how many of those top 10 records do you own? I own the ACDC, I own the Pat Benatar, I own High Infidelity, I own Sticks. What were the other ones? Tattoo You, Double Fantasy. Double Fantasy. Long Distant, Long Distant Voyager. Nope. Precious Time, Belladonna. Belladonna, I don't own Precious Time, I own... So. Yeah, I, I own High Fidelity, 4, Paradise Theater, yep. Escape, and For Those About to Rock. Yeah, I have 4 and Escape as well. I had the Rolling Stones, Tattoo You, uh, Stevie Nicks, Belladonna, and then the uh, John Lennon one as well. That's it? That You don't own the ACDC ones, Ed? No, you know what? That album for me wasn't something that I really wanted. You know, Back in Black was, in anything before Back in Black was all the albums that I, I loved. But honestly, like anything after Back in Black, I was never a big fan. Man, you know, it's so strange because you're not the only one that I hear that feels that way. But, you know, Bon Scott was the king. Without a doubt, the sound of the band and a more uh, bluesy rhythms that they had, you know, it completely changed, you know, after Back in Black. Anything after that, they just completely lost it. For me, anyway. Yeah, not the case for me. I love, for those about to rock, I, I, I love Back in Black, too, and, and I love Bond stuff, but uh, I thought for those about to rock was a kick-ass album. It has some good tunes on it, but Bond, for me, was, you know, he was ACDC, really was. Yeah. Agree to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> it, just shows, it just shows your age, by the way. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Bada bing. Bada boom. <laughs> All right, so getting back to the picks, we're going to our third pick. So, Ed, back to you. My third pick, which is, this album is so awesome. I actually created a painting of it which was the album cover so it's iron maiden killers and i made a painting of it 
back in high school. And Paul Diano was the, the vocalist at that time in Iron Maiden. And a lot of people poo-poo on Paul, but I don't, I liked Paul. I don't, I liked the album and it was just at that time, listening to Bruce now and thinking of where they're at with Iron Maiden. I mean, Bruce is an excellent choice, but I never thought that these albums, their earlier albums without Bruce were bad. I really liked them a lot. So my pick on this album off of killers is murders in the room more i love that song
going to be boxing because I'm Dickinson Hagar and you're David Lee Roth Deano. We're going to be boxing the next time I see you. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a Deano like complete convert. I mean, Bruce is just amazing. I'm just saying that those al- earlier albums where people are like, oh, they're not as good because they don't have Bruce on them. I don't know. I, I enjoy them just as much. Listen, Ed, don't ever apologize. I got your back. This was my <laughs> this was my introduction to Iron Maiden was right. the Killers yeah. album. Me too. I me absolutely too. love the first two Iron Maiden records. And let me just say this up front. Deano and Dickinson just it's two complete it's an apple and an orange. So to compare the two, it's just it's dumb. Don't even compare the two. Two totally different singers and really sort of two totally different bands sound-wise. But I absolutely love The Killer's record. Uh, Was it my favorite Maiden record? Where does it sit in the catalog of all the Maiden that's out there now? No, probably not because my bang zone is probably Peace of Mind and Power Slave. But I love the Killers record, and I love Murders in the Room more. Great choice on that one. A totally kick-ass song. So, uh, you know, I got your back with the David Lee Roth and the uh, Paul Diano, and we can just we can take uh, Sonny down. You go high, I'll go low, <laughs> and he's going down. He'll fall like a tree. <laughs> now, I love Bruce, too, and I've seen, like, I have all the, the Bruce albums and everything. Yeah, I like them both. I like both Sammy and Dave, and I like both Bruce and, and Paul. And, and right. they, they both have their piece of history in rock and roll, and uh, I embrace uh, all of it. So, If he could hang out with any of those guys at any time, that would be a great time. Yeah, I think to hang out, I think out of all those guys, the person I would probably most identify with and be most comfortable with would probably be Sammy. Dave, I think, is just too hyper and too all over yeah. the place for me. <laughs> and I think it would be a little bit much for me. And That's uh, pretty obvious, right? You know, I, I think Bruce would probably be okay to hang out with. He seems like a, a normal normal guy. But Sammy, Sammy likes the beach. And I grew up on the beach. So Sammy and I think uh, would get along just fine. Sounds like fun. All right. It's on you, Stephen, Mr. Number Three. So for my number three pick, I got to do a tribute to my co-host, Hollywood Pooney. And I'm going to talk about a band that we don't talk a whole lot about on this show. And that is Thin Lizzy. Thin Lizzy released Renegade in 1981. And this is the version of Thin Lizzy that featured Scott Gorham, but also Snowy White. And this song, Hollywood, Down on Your Luck, absolutely love this song. There's some really good stuff on Renegade as a whole, record-wise. And uh, Hollywood, Down on Your Luck, I think, is a great Thin Lizzy song. Written by uh, Scott Gorham and Phil Lennett. And just a classic Thin Lizzy song, in my opinion. Love it. Star overnight, not like in New York, 
So before I say what I need to say, you can send your hate mail to hollywoodsucks at gmail.com. Let me me start there. I can't get into Phil's voice. And I honestly, I think Phil's voice kept him from top 40 radio, kept him from probably being top 40. They would have got more radio airplay if he had a more of a melodic, not listenable, that's harsh, but his voice is like spoken word almost, right? It's not as bad as Dave Mustaine, but it's Dave Mustaine light to me. Now, that being said, this song's actually pretty good, and the backing vocals absolutely helps it out. But if Phil had a more ear-pleasing voice, I think they would have sold more albums. You know, Thin Lizzy's hit or miss. I like Thin Lizzy, but I think what held them back is their records are kind of all over the place. Because for all the Thin Lizzy that I like, there's a lot of Thin Lizzy that I don't like. So this record and this song in particular is, is obviously some that I like. But there is definitely Thin Lizzy that, yeah, it doesn't really work for me. 
but I don't think for me it's not Phil's voice. It's just the uh, up tempo, low tempo. Some of it's just boring to me, and that's how I feel about Thin Lizzy. But uh, they got a lot of stuff that I like. How do you like uh, Thin Lizzy, Ed? I'm sort of leaning with uh, Hollywood Pony here on this one. Yeah, you know, I feel Phil Lynott was an okay singer with the band, but he always reminded me of like Jimi Hendrix. And how could anybody ever knock Jimi Hendrix? But the reason why I don't go back to Jimi Hendrix over and over again is because of his singing. I felt like, just like I do with Thin Lizzy and what Sonny is saying, is that didn't have that powerful vocal lead that the music needed. And that that's probably my biggest hang-up, too, with Thin Lizzy. Sonny, you like Hendrix. Do you like Hendrix singing? No, Hendrix singing is like listening to Ace singing. It's uh, unique. Right. You know, yeah, but that's, uh, that's his exactly guitar my playing. Point. Yeah. yeah. If he could just play guitar all day long. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. Okay. So my number three pick is totally around my addiction of being a completist and rabbit hole finding. I come across this album by a band called The Storm in like the mid 90s. Love this guy's voice. His name is Kevin Chauffant. Go back, find out he's in a band called 707. I'm like, oh, that's that's good, too. Found out that he was possibly going to be the singer for Journey. I was like, yes, this is going to be great. Then he released a Journey, like a tribute album. It was awesome. So then I start, when the internet comes, I'm like rabbit hole finding every singer ever loved and find out that this guy sang for a band called Shooting Star from 2005 to 2007. So then I start rabbit hole finding shooting star and start going back. And it's a lot of like really cool melodic AOR type music. So I pick a album called hang on for your life. Check out this title track.
Okay, so that album was number 92 on the Billboard chart. And, you know, they've had 20 different lineups over the years. The only original guy right now is the drummer. But it's got that kind of like blues rock, bad company-esque type feeling. And I own a bunch of Shooting Star, and I like all of it. I don't know if you guys have ever heard Shooting Star. I've personally never heard of this band, and I don't. I think I may have heard you mention that guy's name once before, but you said he was in a band called 707, and 707 also released an album in 1981 called The Second Album. I don't know if it's the same 707. It is the same 707. Okay, so that guy, that guy had two album releases in the same year. I listened to this song before we recorded the episode. I mean, I like it. It's all right didn't blow me away and at the same time I didn't dislike it it was all right but I've never I've never heard of shooting star I don't know anything about this band really yeah formed in 1978 out of Kansas City first American group to ever sign with Virgin Records but just never hit it big huh Ed you know this band I do not know this band like I've never heard of it and is there a popular song that they put out that we would recognize no that's the problem Oh, wow. I love that stuff, though. I love, like, really, really, really rare, you know, bands that are out there that you discover and you're just, like, taken away by it. Which is what's funny. This is what makes my co-host Hollywood Pony so unique, because how the hell do you discover a band that was never popular to begin with from 1981 in the mid-90s? Only Sonny has so much of a disorder that he hears one thing and starts digging up every last thing that they were ever tied to and that's how he discovers this crap he's eclectic and uh that's why they call him hollywood (laughs) (laughs) that's why i don't think the internet's bad like it opened this whole world oh my god yeah it's the greatest thing ever right (laughs) oh yeah yeah i don't think it's bad at all to use sonny's own term sonny's extra (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, there you go All right, so let's talk about some other people who are extra. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. Growing Ups of the Week this week. These are the folks that shared us on Facebook and retweeted us on Twitter. Rock Doc Wayne, Kevin Packard, Stanley Lives for You, Scott Gull, Janet Eck, Shout It Out Loudcast, Daryl Albert, David Hudson, Shock Me Parasite, Save Rock and Metal, Chris Sinzak, Digital Killed Radio Star, Brad Rustoven, Mark Winder 8, Jason Kearney, Todd Herrick, Tony Masalem, Peter Cessary, Mark Arnold, David Cathy, Jason Bluski, Kerry Morgan, Potter Than Hell. Linda Kroll, Dan Nation, The Power Chord Channel, Andy LaFon, Rob Alanese, Jeff Reed, Jason Alexander, Alan Tate, Brian Davis, Rodney Wayne Delacour, Russell G. Woodrum, Doug Middleton, Bill Algy, Eladio, Brian Chapman, Zeus, Kalen Provo, Music Palace Radio, Ages of Rock Podcast, Damn Good Movie Memories, Steve Wright, Craig Osborne, Mr. Cole Thornton, I Love It Loudcast, Nicholas Gratton, Barry G. Player, The Hustle Podcast, Ogata, Ryan D. Singer, Rodney Dixon, Ryan Bannon, Tom Gelati, Mike Parnell, Chris James A., Rick Friel, Restrained shared us, and Restrained, we use a lot of the music for our bumper music. And today, Jeff Scott Soto re- retweeted us, which was really cool. 
because uh, he, I, he either heard the Manichetti interview or saw that it was out there. And then something that uh, we got a note from a guy named Great Scott on Twitter, and he said about the Manichetti episode, awesome interview, guys. I've been a huge fan of the band since I first heard Open Fire on a local radio station back in high school. Dave has always been one of my most underrated guitarists and vocalists. In my opinion, he is history of rock and roll, hard rock music. I've seen them many times. So thanks, great Scott, for the great review. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for sharing and tweeting and leaving us your reviews and your ratings on Podchaser. We appreciate each and every one of you guys. You can find the podcast. We've said it a million times anyway, or you listen to your podcast. We are on Spotify now, as well as Apple and Google and Tuned In and Spreaker and all those different platforms. So get out there and share up the episodes. That's what helps us grow. Word of mouth is what it's all about. We appreciate when you guys leave reviews. It's always great when you like our post, but go to our Facebook page and start communicating with us. It's fun to talk rock and roll, talk about the episodes, talk about your favorites in the episode and just shoot the shit on rock and roll. That's what we like to do. Ed, you want to talk about click tees a little bit and uh, tell everybody what your t-shirts are all about and what your operation is all about? Sure. I would love to. I mean, I really do enjoy talking about myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> And you're good at it. You're better at it than most. Oh, really? Thank you very much. <laughs> we we like to have you on to shoot the shit about rock and roll, but we also want to do you a solid and talk about your kick-ass t-shirts, your, shall we say, kiss-inspired t-shirts, or will that get us in trouble? No, absolutely. They are kiss-inspired. All my shirts are kiss-inspired t-shirts. They're, I started the company two years ago and with an idea that I would create a t-shirt shop based upon kiss nostalgia and like the t-shirts are based upon things that happened in kiss history i call it the also the uh, the true fan of kiss who understands the shirts so like we have t-shirts that are based upon very early costumes of kiss that they were basically t-shirts at the time when they were first getting the band together and also doing nostalgia stuff like from phantom of the park creating a lot of those imageries and i was doing also like things like really rare photos like ace's mother's music emporium which happened in like 1974 and ace wore the shirt was a yellow shirt and it was a the shirt from the venue and i created a t-shirt based on that i have a sam the serpent shirt before even the new sam the serpent shirt came out well, not a new serpent shirt, but when Sam came back to the end of the road tour, I created a shirt way before that. And I think it's the only Sam the Serpent shirt that exists in the entire world. So if you go to my shop, you can have something like that, something very unique for the Kiss fan. That's awesome. What's your uh, web address? So we give that out. We'll also put all this in our show notes. So this will be one time where you want to go and definitely take part in the show notes and read the full description of the show, et cetera. Sure. It, it's clickteeshop.com and it's click 
is spelt with a K, so it's K-L-I-C-K, and then T-E-E, shop, S-H-O-P, dot com. And if you go there, too, what you'll see is right now I have a line of Eric Carr official merchandise shirts. I have three different designs for Eric Carr, and they were released actually on his birthday, which was July 12th. And so I have three limited print run shirts for Eric Carr. And right now I've gone through actually like two thirds of the number that I'm allotted to sell based upon my licensing agreement with these shirts. So there's a limited time left to snag up these shirts because once my orders hit a certain number, the t-shirts will be sold. They're gone until whenever else I can do another licensing agreement. But for right now, this run, if you don't act quickly, they will be gone. Awesome. Yeah. I like, uh, I quite like the, uh, I don't know which one you call it, but I like the Fox head thing that I think that shirt's kind of cool. Yeah. That that's based on Eric. When he first started with the band, he, uh, he wore a fox belt like on Kids Are People too, and then like there's a lot of Lynn Goldsmith photographs that were taken at that time, and you would recognize it if you did a little research about the fox belt, and you'll see exactly what that design is based upon. Sweet, yeah, and they're great shirts because I've got uh, the Ace Frehley wings, I've got the Chakara symbol, and I've got an Eric shirt coming, so. They're great shirts. Oh, you did order an Eric shirt. Which one did you order? I think I ordered the makeup. So there's one that has icon, which is just the makeup. Yeah, I think that's And then the other one, one is Eric Car Smile. Oh, the makeup. That, that one's called Eric Car Icon. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. You'll have to send me a picture, Sonny, so that way I can repost it and I'll send you some, you know, more yeah. girls' uh, information on those. Nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we well, get Sonny divorced, let's get back to the episode. Yeah. Okay. So movies in 1981, here were the top 10 highest grossing movies and a few others I threw in there that I really liked. Number 10 was Time Bandits. I've never seen that. Number nine was The Four Seasons. No clue. Number eight, For Your Eyes Only. Obviously, James Bond. Number seven, Chariots of Fire. Never saw it. Number six, Callum Ball Run, baby. Seen that tons of times. Five Stripes, which is Nicole's favorite movie of all time. Four, Arthur. Seen that movie. That's pretty good. Three was Superman 2. Good movie. Two, On Golden Pond. You'd have to shoot me to get me to watch it. And number one was Raiders of the Lost Ark and a gross double on Golden Pond. And then some movies that didn't hit the top ten that I actually like. Carbon Copy came out that year. Porky's. Porky's. Love Porky's. Body Heat came out that year, and Modern Problems by Chevy Chase. Love that movie. Yeah. Love Modern Problems, but yeah, it was all about Raiders of the Lost Ark for me in 1981 for sure. How about you, Ed? Oh, my God. What a great year for movies. One movie I have to, like, that there's a lot of great ones. It's really hard to pick a great one out of that, that list, but Arthur... It resonates so well with me because my wife and I, we love that movie so much. And we always quote, you know, from author all the time. What a great movie that is. I thought you were going to tell me it resonated with you because you're drunk all the time. No? <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't. Tr I actually don't drink. Uh, 
Well, that's a shame. <laughs> Actually, I'm lying. <laughs> He's drunk right now. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get to our fourth pick. Ed, you are up. My fourth pick, and I have to really like dig in deep with this one because my friends at the time, and I'm 14 years old, all my buddies were into the music scene and heavy metal scene. And I just remember like going to my buddy's house. His name is uh, Buzz Ayers. And other people that were there were uh, John Fudd Savacki, Phil Newcomb, Sandy Newcomb, a lot of people from this neighborhood that I, I used to visit. I remember going there and going into my friend's living room and they bust out the guitar, they bust out the drums and they start playing live wire. And I didn't even know what it was at the time, but Motley Crue had just put out too fast for love and they played it flawlessly. They were so amazing. And we also like, it just gravitated to us at that time with all my friends and we were listening to all this stuff, you know, that that whole entire album, which was amazing. And it was just so raw. I just always remember him playing live wire there as if it was yesterday. Love that uh, Too Fast for Love record. That might have been the first Motley Crue song I think I've ever heard. Yeah. And that, that was for me, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great record. You know, there's only one thing wrong with it. But live wire ain't it. So it's a great song. That was probably the third or fourth album I heard by Molly Crew because I came in and shout, and then I hadn't gone backwards for a while. So it was probably the third or fourth album I got. But uh, love me some Motley Crew. All right, Stephen, you are up. All right. So anybody that listens to the Grown Up Rock podcast knows my love affair with the band Kicks. I love Kicks. I came in right around Midnight Dynamite, and uh, that's a great record, Midnight Dynamite. I tried to go backwards, and at the time, I wasn't really digging the first two albums all that much because the first two albums to me are so vastly, or they were so vastly different than what Midnight Dynamite was. But as time went on and got a little bit older, I went back and revisited both those first uh, couple records. And really and truly, it's not as different as I initially thought it was when I first listened to them and there's some good stuff on both those records. I still don't think it's up to par with like midnight dynamite and blow my fuse and hot wire, but there is some good stuff on those first two kicks records and the first kicks record, which was released in 1981, the lead off track atomic bombs, I think is an awesome tune. Love that song. Yeah. First song on the first kicks record. I mean, it's a good song, you know, to me, they didn't really hit their stride till probably the second half of the second album into that third album. But uh, you could tell that they were a rock and roll band right out of the gate. There's no doubt. It's a shame Kicks, honestly, isn't bigger in the U.S. I know they're big on the East Coast, but West Coast fan, it's hard to find another Kicks fan. And I just don't get it because they're so good live. They sound great live. Steve is great live. And their music and their songs are kick-ass. I mean, it seems like anybody that likes a band like ACDC or just straight-ahead rock and roll would like kicks. But for whatever reason, they just 
don't seem to hit people correctly. And I, I don't, I don't get it, but I love them. How about you, Ed? Do you like kicks? Oh my God. Yeah. Like kicks and that album, that is my favorite album actually of kicks. And I saw them too back then and in concert and I feel the same way, but I always felt too, that they were sort of like, it felt like a local band. They didn't feel like, you know, an over the top band from a national sense. I wish that they did. I wish that they succeeded at that time to be a major act because they are incredible and I love their stuff. I really do. And I know that they're still playing now, which is a hats off to them because that's a long time going for any kind of band. So, I mean, people must feel the same way because they're doing it still. Well, all I know is you can't have a Monsters of Rock cruise without kicks, apparently. So, or Tesla or YT. So, which is great. It's <laughs> and, and exactly the way it should be. <laughs> That's right. Right. Okay. So, my fourth pick from the Mighty White Snake album, Come and Get It. Um, at this point, White Snake is Coverdale, Moody and Marsden, John Lord, Neil Murray, Ian Pace. I could have chose Wine, Women, and Song off this album. I could have chose Would I Lie to You. But I chose Doug Aldrich's favorite song of White Snake period, Don't Break My Heart Again.
No, this album just, you know, it was very deep purple. Yeah. And they hadn't really, you know, by the time you get to the 87 record, I mean, they're basically a completely different band. They're still, like, immersed in the blues at this point, but later on, they get completely different. Yeah, I like some of this stuff. Some of it's hit or miss, but, yeah, some of this stuff is uh, good and very deep purple influence, so it's all good. Ed, what's your White Snake history? My White Snake history is 1987, so I don't, I didn't know of the music of White Snake anything previous to that. I guess MTV and the popularity of the 1987 album, you know, sort of introduced me to it. And I do like that. I mean, I love the uh, 1987 album, and I love that they're still touring as well. And there's a lot of media out right now with them touring. But anything prior to that, maybe I should give it a listen, Sonny. Should I? You should. It's very blues. Oh, really? Cool. I, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up and give it a listen. Ed, do you still listen to metal today or no? I really do listen to a lot of stuff. And I, I love right now a lot of it. what I listen to is I go back to things. Perfect Circle. I was listening to a lot of that recently. A lot of Queensryche again, going back to it. And I do listen to a lot of stuff, but I'm very eclectic. I would blast you with stuff that you'd be like, I've never, ever, ever heard of it. And that's the stuff that I listen to is very, very eclectic stuff that is completely off the charts yeah. of any, anything that people would listen to. But I, I lo- it, it's music, so it, it should be some, a discovery for anybody that you know loves music. Yeah. If you get a chance, go listen to the new White Snake. If you have like a streaming service or something, the new White Snake. Oh, really? really is yeah. it... it and it's David Coverfield as well, or yeah, David yeah, Coverdale. David Coverdale. Yeah, Coverdale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. I will definitely. You know, I have heard people talking about it as well, saying how awesome it is. So yeah, it's a really good record. The band that he's got on that record is phenomenal. Kick ass. Yeah, you guys are giving me a lot of good stuff to go listen to. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> I will definitely look it up. Yeah, definitely. It's called Flesh and Blood. Great. All right, well, that brings us to your fifth and final pick. Ed, what you got for us? I have to say this, Alan, because even like growing up in 1981 and listening to just the radio and how amazing radio was back then because there were a lot of rock and roll stations that played everything, Ozzy Osbourne's Diary of a Madman was on the radio. Which is amazing, thinking about it. Like today, like if Ozzy came out with Diary of a Madman and it was the same exact album, nobody would play it. But back then, everybody was playing Diary of a Madman. And the title track, Diary of, of a Madman, is my pick. And I really do love that album. And it's such a tight album. And Randy Rhodes on it. It's such a perfect album. It sticks out in my mind to this day. And I, if, if I listen to it, I love it just as much as I did back then. Yeah, my, my history with Ozzy in 81 was kind of a, I'll call it a cautious one. So my rock and roll history in 1981 as a freshman in high school, I was a jock. 
And I think anybody that went to high school, you had all these cliques, right? You had the jocks, you had what we called the heads, which were essentially the pothead rocker hippies, and you had the preps and et cetera. I was a jock in 81. I played on the baseball team. I hung out with the jocks. They were my friends, especially being a freshman. That was a good thing. But when I transitioned from 81 into my sophomore year, I started to befriend many more heads. And and once I got into the pothead hippie clique, then my rock and roll knowledge broadened a thousand percent. And I started getting in and really heavy into all this different stuff, which was awesome uh, for me musically. That's my experience with Diary of the Madman. I kind of experienced Diary of Madman and Blizzard of Oz both at the same time. So that was awesome. Yeah, I'm more of a Blizzard guy, but Randy Rhodes is a man, so you can't really go wrong. Right, anything with Randy at that time was just amazing, and I just wonder what he would be doing today if he was still around. I don't think he'd be playing an Aussie's band. I can say that. No, he d- he didn't deserve it. You know, he could have been anything that he wanted to be. All right, Stephen, your last pick, right? Yep. This is my last pick. And so, like I said at the top of the episode, I wanted to kind of talk about uh, some albums and bands that maybe uh, we don't talk so much about on this show. And this band is definitely walks that borderline of pop rock and possibly hard rock, definitely not metal. But this song that I've chosen to play for me is absolutely hard rock. Uh, All you have to do is listen to the cranking guitars. Take a listen to this. Cry. 
All right. So that was Journey off of the Escape album. And that was a song called Keep On Running. Escape, Journey's masterpiece. I mean, this album was so killer in my 81. When I was a a freshman in high school, this album was massive. I remember the tour coming through where it was Journey and Brian Adams opening. Everybody was talking about it. I didn't go see it. I was too young. I I didn't didn't make it, but I had to look at all the Journey uh, Escape tour shirts and listen to everybody talk about how awesome the concert was. Keep on running. If you've seen them more recently, well, like, 10 years ago, I saw, saw them when they had Dean Castronova singing Keep On Running, and it was killer. Dean's a kick-ass drummer, but he's also a kick-ass singer. They could have just used him as singing uh, all those parts, but I love Journey. They've got so much material that I absolutely love, and I don't care so much about the ballads, although I will say their ballads are, are really good ballads. I like the rock and stuff, and keep on running and the the title track escape those are great songs on this record uh neil sean such an underrated guitar player so killer ed what's your journey history i think i was probably like the same thing with everybody else at that time was that it was really popular in the music scene and you know you got whatever guys are listening to more heavy metal and women that were listening to more top 40 but journey sort of spread between the two you know male and female and like you were saying steve journey was neil sean and his guitar playing god what an amazing guitar so that was my takeaway from journey and i i like them a lot and i can appreciate everything they did but am i the biggest journey fan no i and if they came around right now and they were back in concert. I probably wouldn't go see them. Journey's, uh, you know, hometown heroes for me. So, uh, and Escape is a classic album. There's no doubt. So, from one classic album to my last pick, which also ended up honestly being Billy Squire's classic album, which was Don't Say No. And this is his second album, and this is his biggest album, right? It has In the Dark, Lonely is the Night, My Kind of Lover, The Stroke. But I really like the song, You Know What I Like. And Billy Squire, you know, too bad with the whole pink shirt and the dancing around because I think, unfortunately, that video, that's all anybody ever talks about. And I guess I should stop talking about it, too. But the guy's really a rocker, to be honest. And that video did him no justice. I, I wish they would have never released that because I think it ended up ultimately hurting his career. What do you guys think? I'm a huge Billy Squire fan. Billy Squire was among some of the first uh, rock concerts that I ever saw. I saw Rat and Billy Squire. And, uh, he's absolutely a rock and roll guy. Uh, he's definitely, yeah, (laughs) he's a little bit of a prancer from time to time, but his music is kick ass and it doesn't stop with don't say no emotions in motion. And even some of the later records that he released, there's some good material on there. I mean, if you've ever heard him talk about, his influences and what he grew up with. I mean, he was a Zeppelin guy. He loved Led Zeppelin. So I love Billy Squire and I love all of Don't Say No. That whole record is is kick-ass for me. I absolutely love Billy Squire. I mean, what a great musician. And you could tell that he really put all of his 
efforts into creating the music that he does. So it has a, like a positive energy and he definitely captures that through his, his work. So I am a big Billy Squire fan. So anything that he he's done, I was always into it as well at that time. Okay. So there was a bunch of other 81 music, uh, just real quick. Here's the newly formed bands of 81 that, uh, we would know and love anthrax, black and blue, Icon, Killer Dwarfs, Leatherwolf, Loudness, Merciful Fate, Metallica, Motley Crue, Pantera, Pretty Mage, Queensryche, Rough Cut, Slayer, Steeler, Suicidal Tendencies, Tesla, Vandenberg, all of those and a bunch of others all came out in 81. And then some of the albums that we didn't mention that probably would hit home for some of our listeners, Except Breaker came out that year, Anvil, Hard and Heavy, April Wine, The Nature of the Beast, Sabbath's Mob's Rules, Lou Oyster Cult Fire, The Unknown Origin, Alice Cooper's Special Forces, Ian Gillen, his band released two albums that year, Future Shock and Double Trouble, Girl School's Hit and Run, Sammy Hagar's Standing Hampton, Hanoi Rocks, Bangkok Shocks, Saigon Shakes, and Hanoi Rocks was that album, uh, Heavy Metal's Soundtrack, Helix, White Lace, and Black Leather, Iron Maiden's Made in Japan was also released that year, Joan Jett, Bad uh, Reputation, Loudness to Birthday Eve, Molly Hatchet's Take No Prisoners, Motorhead's No Sleep Till Hammersmith, Queen Flash Gordon, Rainbow Difficult to Cure, Raven Rock Until You Drop, The Rods self-titled album came out that year, Rush Moving Pictures, Rush Exit Stage Left came out that year, Michael Schenker's MSG, 38 Specials, Wild Owls, Southern Boys, UFOs, The Wild and Willing and the Innocent, Venom's Welcome to Hell, Mighty Y and Tear Shaker, and I know I'm going to get hell if I skip this goddamn album, <laughs> Saxon, Denim, and Leather came out that year. Ugh. Fuck yeah, it did. <laughs> what? If I didn't say it, he'd be all over me. That's why I had to say it. You know why, Hollywood? Because Denim and Leather bought us all together, baby. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some good albums that came out that year. Dude, 81 was a great year. Sonny, thank you so much for saying Hanoi Rocks, Bangkok Shocks, Saigon Shakes. Because do you guys know Hanoi Rocks? Yeah, are you familiar with them? Yeah. Oh yeah, I I love Hanoi Rocks, and I thought that they were going to be the biggest next thing until the Razzle was in that accident with Vince Neil of Motley Crue. And uh, Razzle had died in that car accident, and they were right on that cusp of I felt that they were going to break out, and that just destroyed the band. I really loved them, and I listen to them today too. All their albums are fantastic. They influenced a lot of the bands from the 80s that we like. But truthfully, you know, Hanoi Rocks is hit or miss for me. I, they've, I've tried to listen to their records because there's a couple of records that people point out to listen to. And I like some of it for sure, uh, but I don't love it all. I don't know what it is. It's not Michael Monroe. I like him. I just, I don't know. Uh, maybe they're just not heavy enough for me. I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, it was more like a bluesy feel to the uh, music. Yeah. I yeah. definitely dig some of it. Did you mention Point of Entry, uh, Sonny? 
Yeah, you had earlier, so I didn't. Did you? Did I? Oh, no, that was it. I think that mentioned that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's some good shit in 81. We talked about uh, the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. Helix also released White Lace and Black Leather in 81, which I guess was their first record. Good stuff. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. All right, so for the historic moment, there is no way I was playing anything off the Elder, period, unless it was Escape from the Island, so... The Elder ain't getting played here, because that's what got released in 81. What about I? I like I. Whatever. You don't like I? It's okay. <laughs> but since I cannot bring myself to pick an Elder song, and I'm going to put it on you. You pick an Elder song, because that's the album that came out that year. I actually am a fan of the Elder, because even though it wasn't the music that KISS fans were really into at that time, I think I was still young and, and impressionable. And for me, all that, anything that Kiss put out was, I was on board. So as far as a song, I'll go with, and this will probably kill everybody. Oh my God. It's such a, a tough decision to make when you're talking about the elder, because you're going to get poo-pooed on it. And I'm going to veto, if you try to play just a boy, I'm going to veto that, because I'm not allowing you I, to play that song. I, I think everybody's going to veto me, no, and it, no matter what I say. How about the uh, oath? I or the oath? That's the only two good songs on it. <laughs> the oath is good, because, but it's like... But it's predictable. I'll go with Under the Rose. There you go. Yeah, don't let him get you. We'll go on with Under the Rose. Yeah. And yet you must be worthy of the 
what are your thoughts on under the rose, Steve? <laughs> I don't have one. I already <laughs> told you that the oath and I were the only two so- good songs on it. You should give it a, a, another chance because I, I did try to listen to this record <laughs> recently. I like I I like the oath, and I think there was one or two other songs that I thought I could stomach. I don't remember whether I loved Under the Rose or not. I think you did. <laughs> you think I did? <laughs> I did. <laughs> All right, that's great. Is Under the Rose a ballad? No, uh, no, not really. Okay, kind of. It's kind of like medium paced. Okay. We'll live. All right. I'll live. There you go. Under the rose for your kiss door moment off of the elder. Sonny's grinding his teeth. I know. He is. (laughs) Sonny went so far as to what the listeners didn't hear because I edited all that shit out as Sonny tried to go so far as to play some shit that was, uh, had already been played on a previous episode. So I had to stop him in his tracks. (laughs) <laughs> and if you would have filled out the form a week ago i would have known that and picked something different well you know what truthfully i thought that that was in there from a previous episode and i thought you were just gonna like you knew what you were doing truthfully no i didn't no. think that but because it was such an it was like the last episode or the episode before that one something like that i don't remember anyway all right what an epic episode this has been yeah it's gonna be a longest episode for a while Sorry for my babbling. <laughs> it's not your babbling that made it long. <laughs> it's always my babbling, Ed, just so you know. I'm a babbler. <laughs> he's a babbler. He has no idea when he saw Kiss. He's wrong about the creatures of the night, and he doesn't admit it. But that's okay, <laughs> because he really needs to go and drink. I'm not drinking. It's a weeknight. How many times I got to tell you? It's been well publicized that Stephen Michael is a babbler and a dabbler and... I'm absolutely correct about Kiss. I have the tour shirt to prove it. So there you go. Just a half a bottle of wine away from... I want some wine. (laughs) Vino would be Kino. All right. So, Ed. Yes. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. You want to give any of the listeners a send-off? We're going to do a little bit of a, a contest for these listeners or what? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, both of you guys. And what I'd like to do for all your listeners is give one of my new Air Car t-shirts away. All you have to do is go to clickteeshop.com. So it's K-L-I-C-K, click with a K, T-E-E-S-H-O-P.com. And if you go there, there's a Contact Us page where you just put in your name, your email address, and just put in Grown Up Rock, and, and then you could be entered into this contest. All right, so we'll put all that information in the show notes so you don't have to write all that down while you're driving down the road. Just go to the show notes, and the link to Click T Shop will be in the show notes. You guys can go there, fill out the contact form, make sure that you put the Growing Up Rock podcast sent you, and Hollywood's an idiot. Make sure you put that in there. And make sure you go to our Facebook page, and in the Facebook page, share with us some of your favorite albums from 1981. I love it. Great idea. 
Hollywood, you got anything you want to add before we wrap this son of a bitch up? No, just want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks for all the feedback. Keep it coming. Love you guys. Sweet. Ed, once again, thanks for coming. Thank you all, and I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Ed, you're the man, baby. Absolutely. You know what we got to do. We got to get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Ooh.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.